Welcome to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. I am Dr. John, the guide for your heroic journey towards greater health, success, and most importantly, happiness. And now, on with the show. Hi, this is Dr. John, and I am thrilled to announce that Jory and I are opening up our retreat in beautiful Costa Rica from September 28th of 2024 to October 5th. Everyone wants fulfilling relationships. The hard part is love is not enough. So many factors can get in the way preventing ongoing connection, intimacy, and aligned growth. All healthy relationships start within. But when we have unresolved stuff, it can easily interfere with those we are seeking to be closest with. Whether you're in a long-term committed partnership or are single and are looking for love, this retreat will guide you in the heroic journey of healing yourself so that you can be open and available to cultivate the fulfilling relationships you desire and deserve. To find out more, visit joryrose.com slash retreats. That's J-O-R-E-E-R-O-S-E dot com slash retreats. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. John back with another episode of the Evolved Caveman podcast. And today I am thrilled to have with me Court Vox. And are you looking to unleash your inner passion and take your relationships to the next level? Look no further than Court Vox with let alone his cool name. Court <laughs> is a certified sex and intimacy coach and surrogate partner intern. And we will find out what that actually means because I have no idea. His work as a sacred intimate is based in LA and he's a member of the World Association of Sex Coaches. I imagine those conferences are quite titillating. As a founder of the Body Vox and co-founder of Squirm, Court is dedicated to helping individuals discover and explore their sexuality in a safe and healthy manner. He is also part of a team of sex educators who have created the renowned program for women, Back to the Body, which runs retreats worldwide. Court, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing great this morning. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming along. So, of course, how the hell do you become a sex and intimacy coach? Like, what, what's the story behind that? Well, I'm going to say slowly, slowly and surely. Um, it was something that I um, had made a dedicated decision to switch. I was working in corporate for many years. I worked for corporate for about 15 years and was sort of done with that. I was on my own sort of personal sexual and erotic journey, and I found Shabari Rope Bondage. And um, a woman I was practicing with um, was a therapist, and I said, you know, I would want to be a sex therapist, but not one that just talks to people. I would love to work with people in body-based exercises and and things that are a little more experiential. And I said, I just, I don't know that that exists. And she said, have you heard of sexological bodywork? And at the time I had not. And then um, I immediately looked it up and I found a school in Canada, which teaches somatic sex education. Sexological bodywork is part of that. Um, I spent two years um, in that study, as well as studying to be a surrogate partner intern. Um, and, you know, since then, I keep adding things to my repertoire. Um, I'm informed in um, trauma practices, as well as BDSM practices and Tantra as well. So I'm constantly learning. I, I consider myself a, like a, a lifetime learner and seeker. And I, I love to bring my clients kind of, um, the stuff that's really inherent to my, like the root and the foundations of my work, but I also love to bring them to the new stuff that I'm learning and, and garnering out there. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thanks for the explanation. And yeah. I, have, I have a friend that's a sex therapist, and she likes to say that sex therapy is like 
couples work on steroids that it goes right to the heart of the matter. <laughs> it does. I, I'm always like confused by people who are like, I have a therapist, but they won't talk to they won't talk to me about sex. And I'm like, it's time the to fuck? find it's time to find a new therapist. Well, it makes them uncomfortable. It does. They need to figure out their own shit. Oh, uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, I mean, I remember being there, you know, 20 years ago. Like I, yeah. I get it. I, I don't there's no excuses, but <laughs> right, exactly. I, I yeah. So <laughs> Let's get let's get right into sex. I, sure. I I really enjoy talking about sex and how can we bring more play into our sex life? You know, I love this question and and play is specifically something you know when I'm working with couples that I find is absent and um, I think there's some reticence because it feels silly and it feels like we don't have the capacity to do this. I think there's a level of creativity that needs to come into play and. There's this question of, or this this concept of like, we don't know what we don't know, right? And mm. so that's a lot of times when people come to work with me is because they feel like, you know what? There's something else. There it feels, I feel something else in my more body. Than missionary? More than missionary? More than missionary. <laughs> more, more than just the positions themselves. Once um, a month? Missionary? Really? Yeah, I don't exactly. know. That seems so risky to me. It makes me sweaty. <laughs> good. It makes you that, that's a good sign. <laughs> um, but I think um, you know, having curiosity and um doing a little research, kind of tapping into your body and noticing like what it is that you want and, and being able to speak that desire in small parts to a partner is really vulnerable and really important. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to play. Some of it is role play, some of it is learning new skills like like rope bondage, like learning flogging, going into more of a BDSM type play. It might also look like role play or dress up or playing characters. Um, it could also look like um, creating games in the house that have nothing to do with the sex act itself, but sort of lead into um, that feeling of connection, that feeling of, of being children again, really. Yeah. Um, tapping into something um, that's been gone for a long time. And there's something really powerful and also vulnerable about doing that with someone. And, you know, there's ways that I coach people to express desire in a really kind of thoughtful way. Um, and there's a process. And um, again, it's really vulnerable to tell somebody something specifically when there's so much at risk, right? When you have a, a partner you've been with for 20 years and you've been doing the same thing over and over again, and you suddenly have this big thing that you want, it can feel risky because you know you have property together, you have um, a family together, you have all these things. And it's like, wow, if, if they knew this deep, dark secret about me, like this could risk the whole thing and we could not have it, right? Mm -hmm. And so there is a way to go about it in which it honors the other person, but also honors the person who's expressing it by saying, look, I... I want this and I've wanted it for a really long time. And um, I get that it has a, an impact on you. And I'd love to hear about that. And, you know, if the desire is so big and so important, it will not go away. It just is not going to go away. And so it's saying, will you play with me here? And if your partner is a no, you know, your answer might be, you know, I can wait a little bit longer for you to acclimate to this request or meet me somehow but I'm going to need to have this need met. I'm going to need to have this desire met before I die, whether yeah. it's with, whether it's with you or somebody else. 
Yeah, great answer. It makes me think of the yes, no, maybe sexists yeah. that are out there, right? And mm-hmm. I, I like that idea of, you know, are you available for this? Yes. Are you available for this? Uh, I'm not, maybe, or I'm not right now. Are you available for this? No, I'm not open to that. Yeah. And, and, you know, just going through those lists with your partner, I think is a really good exercise of what can we try that might be new and playful and fun that we're both open to. Um, and, you know, I mean, for me, like, I, I love the idea of bringing play into, into the sex life because I think some of the best sex I've had in the past has involved uproarious laughter and mm-hmm. being somewhat silly, which yeah. was not how I thought about sex for many right. years. Right. It's very serious. You know, it's business yes. and, you know, you got to be manly and you know, all that shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think um, specifically around play or role play or, or, or things that are a little bit outside people's comfort zones, laughter often does come into play. And, you know, my response is how wonderful that you guys had an experience of shared connection to laugh together. And then what? And they're like, well, we gave up. We just stopped. It was, mm-hmm. We were too silly and we thought it was too stupid. The, the real invitation is to laugh and then center yourselves and get back in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, the Native Americans talk about peyote journeys and the laughter being um, an obstacle, right? And it comes into play of the laughter comes and recognize it, have it as a moment, and then push through. What's on the other side of it is what's important. Mm-hmm. But if you allow the laughter to take over, you're never going to get beyond um, beyond it. And there's something really special and beautiful on the other side of it. Yeah, it's a really good point because it's um, you know it's kind of that idea of allow whatever's arising to arise without judgment. Yeah, honor it, let it pass, and then get back to it. Um, yeah. And, and so, yeah, I, I, I appreciate your answers. So mm-hmm. how do we, how, if, if I'm in a couple or if mm-hmm. couples are listening to this, how can we explore more of what is possible in our sex lives and kind of curiously look at some of the obstacles along the way? Hmm. That's a good question. I think, um, you know, there's this idea that certain things and certain types of play and certain um, tools and toys are not for you. And my invitation and, and the invitation to my work is you don't know what you don't know and you don't know until you try. So why not try it, right? Um, if you say, I'm not into spanking, I'm not into flogging, I'm not into power play, I'm not into exchange of breath, I'm not into eye gazing. It's like, well, what are you into? Mm-hmm. Oh, all the things that you've been doing for the past 20 years of your life. How that exciting. How exciting. <laughs> you know, it's like, let's try something else and, you know, give it a couple tries. You know, try it a few times before you poo poo it. And if after a few times you don't like it, still fine. But at least you have a frame of reference and you might discover something that you love and you never thought you were going to love it. Right. So experimentation is pretty key. It's a big part of my work. I work with people in immersion and I work with people on retreats and for you know two and a half day workshops and four day workshops. And really what that allows for, for entry level people is to try a whole plethora of modalities and things and really kind of structure a new desire pathway of like, wow, I had no idea that this was even possible. I had a little bit of an inkling that I might enjoy this. And and actually, this over here was the thing that really got me. 
And then you can go into your life and say, this is what I want. I'm very clear and have um, tools to be able to negotiate what it is you want and what's available, what's not available, boundaries and such. And um, that's a really new place for a lot of people to be. Um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. One of the questions this brings up is um, the the boundaries of being a sex and intimacy coach. And I mm-hmm. think different ones have different boundaries. But I remember back at the beginning of this podcast several years ago, I interviewed a, a life coach who had brought a sex and intimacy coach into the bedroom with him and his wife mm-hmm. to try new things and give him pointers. And I was like, wow, that, that's really brave of you. So do you do that kind of work as well? It depends. I I have done that. It really depends on the couple and it really mm-hmm. depends on what's needed, right? So initially that might not be something I would do, but if mm-hmm. there's still like, it's just not happening, I might step in and just like be a fly on the wall and then notice what's happening and be like, guys, you finish this in three minutes. Yeah. Like what are the, what are the steps you take prior to that? Um, it really, it's, it's couple dependent, right? Mm-hmm. So every couple, what are some of the steps, like some yeah. examples? So I do a lot of um, energetic connecting work. Mm-hmm. We do, you know, things that are maybe tantric in principle, but just like getting back to our animal bodies a little bit of like, what does it feel like to smell each other and like, look at each other, like really look at someone um, and take them in like, wow, this person is stunning. And when I talk about beauty, it's not necessarily the physical beauty of someone, but when I, I'm speaking from an eye place, when I can be in such a deep connection with someone um, that I go into trans state, which we'll get into in a second. Yeah, I do want to get there. Um, there's such an incredible beauty that takes place in this space of timelessness and egolessness and egolessness. Um, that's a tough one to get to. Yes. And a great one to, it's a great state to strive for. And absolutely possible. Um, But getting to a place where you feel like there is no body, um, that it's just energy moving. And that's a really special place to to arrive with someone and to arrive in yourself. It feels incredibly powerful. Um, And so I start with those things. Like, how do we connect in this way? How do we notice each other in a different way? Um, I'm also like noticing things the whole time. How are you speaking about each other? How do you speak about each other when I'm when they're not in the room, right? So if I'm doing an intake call or an intake um, with each of them individually, how they speak about each other really says a lot about who they are. It says a lot about the relationship. Um, and oftentimes, couples that are really like tight um, from a relational point of view, they're they're so tight and they're so intimate with each other in all the other ways that um, sex, sex and intimacy is challenging mm. because they're, they're almost like um, like really strong brother and sister Compan- and companions. And that often doesn't translate into hotness in the bedroom. Right. And so it's a little bit like taking a step back and um, introducing introducing them to a different side of themselves that they may not have experienced or have felt safe enough to yep. come forth. Back to your idea of the animalistic. Yeah. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, and so it, it, it strikes me that another challenge for you here or for us, I suppose, is 
getting people out of their head and into their body. I mean, the Mm -hmm. back to the body program you have, I imagine it's largely about that where we are over-identified with the thinker, we're over-identified with our head, and we've gotten disconnected from our own body and the bodily sensations. Mm -hmm. And so we don't even know what turns us on, at least some of us. Yeah. So, you know, I am a somatic, I am a somatic sex and intimacy coach. So unlike a traditional coach or therapist who is just purely speaking with you um, and processing through language, I am facilitating learning through body-based exercises, experiential learning and touch. And then we are also processing it. So we usually have an experience. We have some sort of exercise that we're doing. And then we talk about it. Like, what did you notice? What did you notice in your body? What was hot for you? What was challenging? What um, what was unexpected? Or what would you want more of from this experience? And like we we're garnering little piece of information as we go along to build this container that we're in together. You know, something I was listening to your um, podcast on resiliency before we hopped on. And something that you said that relates here is you're talking about create your reality on what you pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you were speaking about sensation. And so um, specifically people who have a hard time getting out of their head, it's it's really a practice of sensate focus, which is simply paying attention to the sensation that you are experiencing. So if I am touching your arm gently, it's like notice the sensation in your arm. What does this feel like? Does it feel sensual? Does it feel soft? And for a lot of people, um, I say, how does this feel? And the first response is, it feels good. It feels nice. And then I say, okay, let's expound on the language. Expand the language. Okay, um, I'm having a hard time. Right. Just keep going. Does it feel sensual? Yeah, it feels sensual. Does it feel soft? Uh Uh-huh. Now notice, can you feel my fingertips touching your hair? I do feel that. Right. So it's bringing awareness to the sensation, to the touch itself. And that is a practice, right? That is a practice in and of itself um, for people who specifically can't get out of their head. It's an ongoing practice, Mm -hmm. right? So if I'm with somebody and I notice that they're in their head, I really invite them to let me know. And I'll, I'll often say things like, are you with me? Are you still here? Yep. I'm still here or no, I'm thinking about what we're doing later and making my bank list. Well, and yeah, a large part of this sounds like you're learning mindfulness, mindfulness of touch, because I imagine it's quite a common experience for people to be having sex or making love or fucking and to not even be with themselves in the room. Yes. Yeah. But I think, you know, it's a little bit deeper than mindfulness because you have to address why. Why am I going away? Right. Well, because I'm I'm bored out of my mind, or because I had trauma, and yeah. I actually um, this feels like harm for me, and so I'm disassociating, or I'm going to a place that feels safer for me. And so you have to understand why people are not present. Um, where you know traditional mindfulness is like just draw your attention here, right? Mm-hmm. It's like in sex, you're dealing with another person and. You do have to understand the the reasons of why they're not there, um, and some and again sometimes that's important, sometimes it's not, right? Mm-hmm. But for me, I you know it's important for me to know if people have had 
sexual trauma or boredom. I also think in terms of sensation, we are so bombarded by sensation from all the other things, sound, sight, movement, energetics. We're just our own thoughts, our own thoughts, just bombarded by it all day long. And then we get in the bedroom and we're like, Hmm, Hmm. (laughs) touch me softly. And it's like most people can take a lot deeper sensation than they think they can. Mm-hmm. And even when you're using what I'd call light sensation, so speaking about sensation from a, on a spectrum, deep sensation to light sense- sensation instead of pain pleasure, you know, light sensation, if done correctly, can be incredibly intense. But there has to be a level of the, the person who's touching. There has to be a level of intention and mindfulness and focus of like, I'm actually touching you and I'm feeling all my feels and noticing what it feels like to touch you and to be in your energy field. I'm not thinking about what I'm doing later either. Um, right. Because then I'm, I'm not in the experience either. Right. So it goes both ways. So one of the things that crosses my mind is shame regarding mm-hmm. sex. And I, I mean, I've known a couple men that, you know, have such shame from their religious upbringing that they don't ever achieve orgasm during sex. And so how do you turn shame into the erotic? Mm. Shame is like a huge driver for the erotic or can be. Um, you know, most of the fantasies that people have, most of the thoughts people have around sex are transgressive in nature. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're things that you should not be doing. Um, and there's shame in that, right? So there might be shame um, in some of these clients about feeling like they want to fuck their pastor. Can I say that in here? You can. Okay. It's okay um, with me. I don't know if it's okay with the listeners, but oh, trigger warning. <laughs> trigger warning. <laughs> Pause. <laughs> Um, you know, it's like, I, I have a desire to be taken advantage of by my, by by the priest at my church. Is that right in real life? No. In the erotic, it's really hot for me in my fantasy place. Do I really want to be taken advantage of by my priest? No, probably not. But in my erotic fantasy place, it's super hot for me. And so there's a, there's a disconnect sometimes for people where they think, oh my God, I, I want this and there's shame around it. But if we can sort of like embrace the shadow yeah. and use it in play and say, hey, I have this fantasy. I want you to play the, the preacher and I'm going to play whoever and we're going to enact this and I'm going to reclaim this fantasy as mine in a space that feels safe enough for me to do it. You're not going to yuck my yum. You're not going to tell me what a sick, <laughs> sick fuck I am, unless I want you to do that. <laughs> Fair enough. Right? I might really love that language yeah, and, and yeah. get off on that. And so it's really understanding. Um, it's really understanding sort of what the kink is, and then and like playing with it. Um, there's a really beautiful book called Existential Kink that I pull I've from, heard this a few times. I pull from it a lot. Um, I've been working a lot with shadow in the sessions that I'm doing with folks. In fact, um, Back to the Body is doing a retreat in January um, solely around shadow work and how it pertains to the erotic. 
um, it sold out in like as soon as we announced it. Wow. Congratulations. Um, yeah. So the interesting part about that is like mining, mining the shadow and then taking that into an erotic setting where we mastermind with each other. How are we going to, you know, take the elements from the shadow here? And it's not recreating um, the shadow itself, right? So we're not recreating traumatic scenes. I just want to be clear about that. But we are taking the core elements, the core, um, the root desire of those happenings and creating new scenes so that people can sort of reclaim the story and the feelings in a pleasurable way. So it's taking shadow and, and turning it into light. And it sounds like giving you power over some of those difficult situations, potentially. I don't know if I like the word power over, but yes, it gives it gives a reclamation of power on, on some of those things that were really kind of um, maybe running you or, yeah. or brought you um, dissatisfaction and turning it into something that's arousing. Yeah. So you mentioned early earlier uh, erotic trance states. So go into those a little bit, if you would. Yeah. Um, this is actually something that's been really top of mind lately in a lot of the work that I've been doing personally and with Back to the Body um, and will be a huge focus of my retreat um, called Sacred in Mexico in February next year, which is um, talking about entrainment. Um, and entrainment happens when two people are in rhythm together. It can also happen with large groups of people when there's sort of like a rhythm or a movement. Um, um, you see it a lot with large groups of people who are, um, I'll use shakers, for example, and a lot of religions are, in, there's entrainment happening when we're all seeing. Even military marching. And yeah, marching. right. It's like, it brings this level of almost like we're, we are moving energetically together mm -hmm. um and so there are ways and portals into those spaces and for some people you know different portals work differently so energy and slowness might be something that really works for you dance or movement by, might be something that is like a portal for you language um language is definitely a portal for a lot of people and how you're using language um you know using language from a, a perspective of um, hypnosis or even language that sounds hypnotic in nature has a way of entraining you to someone else. One of the, so, uh, one of the portals that I was taught by a monk slash therapist uh, mm -hmm. was, you know, go to someone you love very much and think about them. And for me, it was my daughter and he would stop me at times and be like, do you love your daughter? I'm like, well, yeah, of course. It's like, okay, tap into that feeling and use that feeling as a portal to think about this topic mm. or to feel about this topic. Yeah. I, I haven't used it in that way, but that's a really beautiful um, way to use it. I, this is more of being so present. You're so present in the moment with the sensation, with the breath, with the movement that something takes place where it becomes a, almost like a psychedelic experience. And they are doing studies now that, that kind of map um, brain waves and like chemical response in the body um, in high arousal and in trance state that's, that um, look very similar to when people are in, on psychedelic journeys. Hmm. Um, and so it's like, you know, you could do a psychedelic journey 
But this is something that you can access on your own. Um, people just want to take the easy route. Um, yeah. What uh, is holotropic breathing part of that? Um, or could it be? I, d- I don't practice holotropic breathing, but yes, okay. absolutely. Um, okay. Breath is a, a beautiful way to connect with yeah. with each other. Um, you know, using breath that's, you know, you're breathing simultaneously together or you're passing breath back and forth. Um, even just asking, you know, and this is something that I often do, it was something that my teacher, Kath and Jesse, taught me in school, which was when you're in a large group of people and you are feeling nervous and you're about to speak to them of just saying, will you take a breath with me? Mm-hmm. And you all take a breath and it's sort of like, ah, my nervous system can relax. My nervous system is now tracked and connected with everyone in the room. I can move on. Yeah. No, right? That's a great tool. Um, and it's sort of like, you know, to understand the directionality of care, that person who is going to be caring for the group is asking the group to care for them for one second. Yeah. So that they can be in their power and their, their fullness to show up for the group. So I love the idea. And now could you share an example of a difficult case that you've had and how you helped, I'm assuming the couple work through it. Would you like me to speak about a couple specifically? Yeah. So I think actually all the couples that I've worked with, a similar kind of thing arises where the, and I'll explain a couple difficulties where the woman has come and done quite a bit of her own work to find her body, to find her desire, to find her arousal, her orgasm, on and on and on. And then decides to bring her husband And there's a little bit of coddling that happens with husbands. Um, And I'm just going to say, husbands, stop letting your wives be the emotional ring bearer of your relationship. You know, you show up like you book the appointment with the therapist. You book the appointment for the Tantra event. You book the appointment with the um, sex and intimacy coach. Like, get off your fucking ass. Like, Mm -hmm. women are fucking tired of doing the emotional labor for the relationship. Yep. Absolutely um, agree with you. And I'll, I'll, I'll even say the, the feminine, the feminine is yeah, responsible I think that's for a better, that a lot yeah. because it happens in, in gay and queer relationships mm-hmm. too. Um, and it's just like, there needs to be two people coming to the table with their own learning and their own work. So that is obstacle number one, where a lot of times the, the feminine in the relationship is coddling and they're like, Oh, I just want to make sure that this is, you know, not going to be too painful for them. It's like, fuck, yes, it is. This is going to be painful for them. Get out of the way. Yeah. Get out. You have done all your work. You have been through pain. You have addressed all your shit and you're still doing it. Now get out of the way so that he can do the same so he can meet you in the place that you want him to. So that's obstacle number one. Obstacle number two for men specifically is when. Their wife now is saying, and and I'll just use the one partner is saying, I want you to rapture me. I want you to take me. I want you to push me against the wall. I want you to fuck me hard. I want all of your dominance. I want all of your animal. And the guy's like, uh, (laughs) yes, uh, I don't know how to do animal. 
So for the last 10 years, you've really wanted me to be soft with you and gentle. And now like this, it's like there is not a connection in their body of what that even feels like. It feels like harm. And so there has to be a new reclamation of, of rewiring in their bodies. You know, and this is sort of like when I talk about dominance and submission, there's a ton of discussion around submissives needing to surrender, which is true. But a dominant also has to surrender in a way that's like, I'm putting away the social scripts. I don't have to be a fucking gentleman here. I'm being asked, literally begged to bring my animal, to bring my, my dominance, my unrelenting human. And how do I rectify that? It really has to do with, you know, your partner um, allowing. And when there is allowance, it's a huge gift to be able to open that way. But it is a, a, it is a rewiring of the nervous system because it's not a pathway that's known. Mm-hmm. And so there is, it's, it's been really challenging. Um, and for some men, that's just not who they are. And so it's like, then there becomes a discussion of, okay, if you really need to get this, maybe you go outsource that. And like, what's the safest way to do that is to hire somebody. Is it to um, have a partner that you see once a week or whatever it is, you know, keeping the agreements of the relationship mm-hmm. intact um, while getting fed with a specific type or need somewhere else. So it's not a cut and dry answer and um, it's really couple specific. And um, but those are like two common things I see a lot. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate the example. Um, and one of the things that I've dealt with a lot lately since Me Too, the Me Too movement, is this question of consent, particularly among college-age men, I guess high school young men as well. Um, and I've been involved in a couple cases where there was an accusation of sexual assault. And you know, when I kind of dig down into the circumstances, typically what happens in the, in the cases I've been involved in, there was consent given up front, and then it was withdrawn somewhere along the way, and maybe not communicated clearly or loudly or at all. Mm -hmm. And so it it seems to me that some of these cases, not all of them, obviously, are about miscommunication. And I I think there's work to be done on both sides. I I think young men need to be looking to ask and receive consent almost every step of the way when you're first starting out in these relationships. And then young women need to be encouraged to speak up more assertively, even aggressively, definitely loudly, definitely repeatedly if needed. Mm -hmm. And now granted that shouldn't be needed, but realistically, I think it can be. So tell me a little bit about your beliefs on consent and the importance of consent. So consent is, is incredibly important, especially if you're going to be having a really like delicious experience, right? You know, I, I don't want to be in a situation where somebody feels taken advantage of or that I've taken too much, right? I think the thing that you hit on the nail on the head, and I'll expound on a little bit, is consent needs to be given step by step along the way. But the way that it's given isn't always verbal communication, right? 
And Good I, you know, and that's something that people miss, you know, specifically horny teenagers who are like so <laughs> yes. horny know, drunk teenagers. Well, often. and that's another thing. Stop drinking and having sex. I like, agree. And just just remove it. And you know, there's something to be said about, you know, what is what it what is keeping you from having sex without drugs and alcohol? So just, I mean, that just takes like a whole nother level with consent. How can you consent with when you are not um, in your full consent? Yeah. Like your, I would never sound mind. Yeah. Like if somebody showed up to my session drunk or on drugs, I would send them home. Yeah. I'd be like, we're not doing this today. And I, I'm sorry, I won't be working with you again. Yeah. And, and even with partners, like I'm not, you know, if some, if I'm going to have a hookup with somebody and they show up to my house, on drugs or whatever. I'm just like a hard no. Yeah. And so that's a, that's an outlier that like really needs to be dressed. Stop fucking around specifically for the first time with somebody. Yeah. When you're inebriated, like you have no consent at that point. Um, but if you are with somebody and you are of sound mind and body, you're no, you have to be noticing like their face even asking the question of like, if you're having a good time, what will I notice? Mm -hmm. If you're not having a good time, what will I notice? And that's an important question because some people will say, if I'm having a good time, I'll be smiling, I'll be laughing. And then someone else will say, if I'm not having a good time, I'm going to laugh and yeah. smile. Because I'm uncomfortable. Because so, I'm uncomfortable. So everybody's yeah. response to that question is different. And the language is actually really important. What will I notice if you're having a good time? Not what will I notice if you're in pleasure, right? Hmm. Because I, that's a really broad question. Like pleasure and pain, there's such a spectrum of that. It's like to get into the nuance of that with somebody that you're having sex with the first time, um, you could have a really deep conversation about it. And they might right. not even know what's possible right. for them in that realm. Um, you know, when I'm playing with somebody, I have a really long list, specifically if I'm playing deep with them. A long list of questions that I I ask and th things that I speak about in boundary words that I discuss being used and not used. Um, you know, I ask people a lot: Are there words that you don't want me to call you or names? Mm. No, I'm pretty good with it. And then I say, "What about stupid fucking cunt?" Yeah, and they're oh, like, "Oh well, Whoa. Yeah, I don't like yeah." They're like, "Please don't call me stupid." <laughs> it's like. You know, stupid gets into a whole level, another level of degradation and yeah. humiliation that most people don't really like. And so it's, you know, sometimes we have to know what the possibilities are before we can consent to it. And so right. this idea of like, I'm, I'm consenting to you touching me. Great. How are you going to touch me? Yeah. Like the, the, the conversation needs to be a little bit deeper, right? And just because a woman is consenting to make out doesn't mean she's consenting to have you penetrate her. Mm -hmm. um, and that should be a discussion beforehand too. Like, Hey, how far are we going to go with this? I just want to, I want to flirt and I want to make out and I want to feel your presence in your body. Great. And then the man actually holding that agreement, right? You're halfway through and everybody's hormones are raging. And she says, please stick it in. Fuck me. And this is where the evolved caveman, mm -hmm just quoting your show, the evolved Appreciate caveman that. goes, I am a caveman 
and I want this so fucking bad. But the evolved man goes, that's not what we agreed to. Mm-hmm. And so, hey, I would love to fuck you. I really want that. I want to, let's talk about it. I want to fuck you so bad. And I'm going to do it next time. Next time we'll do it. But we didn't agree to that. And right now, like we're literally on drugs, our own drugs, mm-hmm. our dopamine, our serotonin, our adrenaline, everything's rushing. And, and we might make choices that we didn't, um, that we wouldn't agree to on when we are in sort it's of a, sober. Yeah. When we're not in an altered state. Yeah. And so, and there's something to be said about that because the next time the woman will go, you know, he listened. Well, and I, I think actually enforcing that boundary is going to make you more desired, more desirable. Yeah. And look, if it's that good, there's going to be another time. Yeah. Like just, you know, there's also ways to play with it. Right. You know, there's ways to play with denial. And these are skills that, you know, kids just don't have. Right. These are skills that 45-year-old men don't have, right? right. It's like some, a woman says, I don't want you to take my underwear off. And then halfway through, she's like, please take them off. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're not doing that because the boss told me mm-hmm. the underwear stay on. But we can play around. We can play around these underwear. And I could, oh, what if I took them off? Nope. We're not going to do that. It's then you're, you're playing with a framework of denial and play. You asked mm-hmm. about play. There's yeah. one. You have an obstacle, play with it, but don't go over the obstacle, right? And what you're doing is, again, going back to resiliency, you're building resiliency with that person, which is, wow, they really, they, they listened. They followed the agreements that we agreed to. And that feels super nutritious. And they played with it. Yeah. And they, and, so that par- your partner feels seen, heard, and validated. Yeah. And also had a great time. Yeah. And then it's like, what's possible now that we have created this, um, we've created this bond with each other. Now, what can we do? I know that they can respect my no. I know that they can respect my boundary. And now how, how much further can I open? Yeah. Right. Like it gets me excited just talking about it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, and thank you for the, the insight into consent. I think it's a really important topic in this day and age. So let me move to a slightly different topic. And, and you've got a differentiation between erotic energy and sexual energy. What's the differentiator in your mind, in your experience? Well, I think um, erotic energy is life force energy. And I find so many of my clients are running erotic energy in so many aspects of their life, except sex, right? They've, they've put it into work specifically, specifically with gay men. There's just a lot of um, focus into building a business and, you know, building their career. And, um, and even if they are having sex, they're not bringing their eroticism to the sex. So it feels empty. It feels like, well, we, it was like, we just were using each other as fleshlights. Um, which is sort of like, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, nothing wrong with that. It's a particular flavor. Um, and it can be really fun and delicious, but if it's the only flavor you're having all the time, it's going to get boring. And you're also going to be like, why am I doing this? Like yeah, what am- just functional. Yeah. It's, it's like, a, I'm doing this to get off, yeah. but you know, sex in its fullness 
And I, you know, most people think about sex as penetration. You know, if you're thinking about sex and its fullness, and, and if you are bringing your erotic energy and meeting someone else's and playing with the dynamics of that, playing with dynamics of power, using frameworks of play and creativity to stay in this sort of, um, to say in, in entrainment for one, two, three, four hours. That's a completely different meal than, you know, having sex for 10, 15 minutes and getting off and getting out the door. I might in the the former experience might choose not to even ejaculate and like to feel what it feels like to hold all that energy throughout my day or my week. Um, so there's lots of ways to play with erotic energy that don't necessarily have to do with penetration, right? You know, erotic energy can run with, for me, when I'm dancing with someone or moving with someone or kissing someone or just looking at them across the room of like, oh, that feels powerful. Yeah, I like to think of erotic energy as, you know, foreplay all day long. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sending suggestive texts or playful texts or leaving notes, but of that letting your partner know that they are highly desirable and wanted and sexy as partly as buildup, but doesn't Absolutely. necessarily have to be build up to anything. Yeah. It doesn't have to build up to anything, right? It could, that could be the main course. Yeah. And it can also be the, you know, the amuse bouche <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> or, or, or the, the appetizer. Yeah. So why do you think sex is such a taboo topic these days? I guess maybe always. Why are we afraid to talk about it? Why do we have such a hard time saying words like dick and pussy and cock? Because I know people that can't even say the words. So if you can't say the words, it's really hard to describe what you want done to you or what you well, like your partner to do. You know, I think it's, it's also important to like name your privates, like what you want them to be called. Like Bob. those, the Bob. Yeah. Perfect. You want to be, you want me to call it Bob? We're going to call it Bob. I've had people, you know, call it all kinds of things. Right. I think the most creative one, was a woman called it her in between. And uh, because, and we kind of went through a list of names. Like what about pussy? She was like, no vulva, no vagina. No um, kitty cat. No. She Dolores, was like, Mulva. right. She was like, what about my in between? And I was like, okay, if that resonates for you, yeah. You know, um, so I think it's it's specific, you know, asking people specifically what they want it to be called is is a inquiry that's mm -hmm. that's a, a good inquiry to have. Um, why do I think there's so much taboo and shame around sex? I think a lot of it has to do with the founding of our country mm -hmm. um, being rooted in Puritanism um, and the shame that has come from that. There's still I, I think you'd go back further to just organize religion. Yeah, and them trying um, to control sex and women and procreation. And I think you just said the the main word is control. Yeah. When you when you can control someone's body and shame them for their own body, um, it's much easier to push them around. Mm -hmm. And so, my invitation to the people listening is, you know, reclaim your sexuality, reclaim the words that resonate with you, reclaim your body. Like, this is my body, you know, and coaching clients to show up in sexual situations where it's like, it's not you that is the, it's not you that's making me feel this way. You're just a spark, right? I'm just an igniter 
I'm a teacher, but I'm I'm not responsible for your turn on. I'm not responsible for your orgasm, for your pleasure. You are. And once you can sort of understand that, it doesn't matter who is in front of you. You own that. That's yours. And that's such a powerful place to move from in the world of like, I own this body. I have autonomy over my pleasure. I have autonomy over my language. I have autonomy over my sexuality. You, husband, do not own me. Mm-hmm. Which is like a whole new concept, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and it's still a concept that's very foreign in, in many countries in the world. Where yeah, well, and even in some to, you know yeah, drive cars. Yeah, and so you know that's a that's a big thing: body autonomy and sexual yeah. autonomy. And it because it's been taken from us at such a young age. It's so hard to rectify. And it's 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 not just an emotional and mental recalibration. It's something that has to take place on all planes, including the body. Yeah. Physiological, genetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's it's deep. So one final question. How do you define intimacy? And how do you help clients kind of achieve greater intimacy? Ooh, this is the question of the hour. Mm-hmm. Um you know, there's a lot of different types of intimacy. There's intimate, familiar, familial intimacy. There's um, experiential intimacy. So there's, like I was referencing couples before, where they have a ton of intimacy, where they just know everything about each other, but they're not able to find this intimacy um, in sex. You know, I think what when people reference intimacy sexually, what they're really talking about is trance state. Without understanding what it actually means, they're talking about that that deep connection that you have with somebody where you're just in flow. I've heard it so many times. I want to be so in flow. I want to be so intimate with someone. It just flows. And what's true is like that might happen with somebody that you have like a very deep physiological, mental, emotional connection with for the first couple of times. But then, you know, it's interesting because also in this um, podcast that I was listening to of yours, you were talking about um, love, something around love changes, um, and but we like stability, right? Oh, yeah. The, the competing desires between stability, stability and certainty and uncertainty and novelty, perhaps. Yes. And that's really important to note with sex is that... we're almost at conflict with this. It's like we love stability and we love, um, you know, nurturing uh, something that holds us, but then we crave newness and novelty. And once you've kind of exhausted your tools, you have to find new ones. And that involves exploration. It involves experimentation. It involves seeking out teachers or books or workshops or whatever it is. And and I think to just extend that, I think it involves the ability to understand that we are paradoxical. So we can have these competing, these simultaneously competing desires and be okay with that. The To have the understanding that we contain multitudes within ourselves, for instance, mm-hmm. that we can feel more than one emotion about a person simultaneously, or that we can have competing thoughts about a person at the same time and know that that's just part of the human experience. Absolutely. And I think that speaks, you know, that speaks to how we, we as a culture think in binary 
in most things, including yeah. emotions. I either feel sad or I feel happy. Yep. It's like, actually, no, I feel, I feel grief mostly when I'm feeling deep love, right? Or I feel elated and also feel a sense of loss. Right. Or feeling those, love, deep love for someone and also feeling scared shitless at the same time because mm-hmm. that can cut both ways and they can leave you or they could die or they could use it, what they know about you against you. Like both, I think, are quite true. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had partners where there's such a deep connection to their body and their spirit, like just such a deep connection that when I'm not with them, there is a, like a, a longing in my body that hurts. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and they're like, oh, but it's, it comes from a place of love, right? It comes from a place of pleasure of knowing how good that connection is and how good it yeah. feels. And so you're absolutely right. Is that, um, you know, our capacity to hold multitudes is so big. Did you see the movie? Um, I'm going to botch the name everywhere, everything, all at once, everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah. 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 Fantastic yeah. movie. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of, you know, I don't know what that movie's about, except <laughs> except the thing that resonates for me is that that it feels like they're speaking to the human condition. Yeah. Which is actually that was one person. It's having, a metaphor. Yeah. All those experiences at the same time. And it's like, yeah. you know, I can be having an experience in my fantasy brain and it's resonating physiologically inside me and emotionally, right? If you notice when you think about, you know, I'm being chased by someone, your heart rate and your breath, and you're like, wow, I, I, I watched the woman King the other night. And it was like, mm, yeah, my partner turned to my partner turned to me and he goes, wow, you had a really good fight. Didn't you? <laughs> I was like, I was like, yeah, get him, get him, get him. And you're very you know, empathetic, like, aren't you? I'm so, I'm really tapped in. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was like, you know, we can be having all these experiences simultaneously. Um, but again, when I talk about trans states, the focus shifts to something so intense, so dialed in that it's none of those things. Yeah. And I, I don't know how else to explain it, except you are everywhere, everything all at once and nowhere all at the same time. I, I think it's a great, yeah. Um, great way to wrap it up. And I, I think the other thing in terms of intimacy, I, I'm a big believer that having emotional awareness, emotional granularity, and emotional intimacy ultimately with your partner creates tremendous sexual intimacy. And those two can be, it's a positive upward spiral. If you can be authentic, which is sort of the intimacy that you're talking about, which is Hey, I have this desire and I feel so safe with you to bring it to you. Will you play with me? And your partner says, yeah, I would, I love you so much that I'm going to meet you in this place, even though it may not be their thing. Yeah. Right. I'm going to actually, I'm going to find a way. I'm going to find my way to connect with you in this desire or this space that feels authentic and resonant for me. That's also building resiliency together, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, I I came forward with something that was scratchy or, or a little bit scary for me. And instead of being turned away, I was met. And now I, I, I have more courage to go again, to ask again, 
because I wasn't shamed. I wasn't, my yum wasn't yucked here. Um, there's something really big to be said about that experience. Yeah. And, and Corda, I have to say, you know, thank you very much. I, I am deeply grateful for, a for an amazing conversation. Yeah. Thank and, you. And thank you for being authentic and real and having the courage to talk about this. I appreciate it. Doing my best, my friend. You're doing great. Keep it also, up. also to the audience, like how, um, do we look like cousins to you? Yeah. <laughs> Brothers, cousins. Yeah. We, we look quite similar. Yeah. Um, oh, and the other thing, the other thing I wanted to ask is where can people get a hold of you if they want to find out more? Yeah. So right now, the, the thing that I'm most excited about is I just launched a um, online platform. It's a community and an online course. It's um, it's an introductory to my work. It's embodiment practices. Um, it's the first module in the series of three that will lead more to, to erotic and sexual practices. But these are foundational um, embodiment practices. Um, and I sent you guys a link, so you should have that. Okay. Um, and then also, I you can find me on thebodyvox.com. I run retreats for queer men and workshops for queer men in Los Angeles. And Oh, my God, you're gay? What? Don't tell anybody. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I consider myself pansexual and oh, queer. Okay. Yeah. You and my daughter. Um, yeah. Perfect. Love her. She's um, amazing. It's the, the, new, the new generation. Yeah. Um, and um, I also do retreats with Back to the Body, which is um, backtobody.org, retreats for women. Um, and yeah, all you can find all of that online. Awesome. And I will put those links in the show notes. So thank you once again. And that is it for this episode of the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like this episode, please be sure to like, rate, review, and share with your friends. And if you didn't like it, you don't have to do a damn thing. Thanks so much. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting guidetoself.com. 